This morning we're in the midst of a sermon series that we've entitled, When You Feel Like Giving Up. And uh, this is a character study of a significant person in the Old Testament, a guy by the name of Jeremiah who lived 600 years before the time of Jesus. And Jeremiah experienced some significant things over his lifetime. And what we're doing is we're just looking at a few of those things and then talking about how his story can apply to our lives today. But before we get into the story of Jeremiah today, I just wanted to talk a little bit about a guy who would probably be recognized by many of you. This guy is a famous guy who has written a number of best-selling authors today, or uh, novels, rather. He's written a number of best-selling novels today. His name is Stephen King. Now, Stephen King is not known uh, for writing children's stories. Uh, in fact, he writes more suspense, thriller-type novels, and, and really, I have had no interest in reading any of his books, or, or at least not many of his books, but uh, you might be wondering, why then, Jason, are you even talking about Stephen King? Well, I think that there is something that happened in his life that can be helpful as we come and approach the story of Jeremiah today. Not too long ago, I came across a short video that described some of King's past and how in the 80s and 90s, he had a really strong addiction to alcohol and to drugs. And King said that he was so addicted that he had convinced himself that he would be a better writer if he just took more of these substances. Well, as the story goes, it finally comes to this moment where his wife is so concerned about the destructive behavior that he is on that she orchestrates what's commonly referred to as an intervention. And so she gets the family members together and a couple of friends and they show up at his office at generally the time when he would be writing during the day. And so they confront him and, she, and they say, you know what, listen, you are going to kill yourself if you keep living like this. And then his wife grabs the trash can and she, that's there in his office. She takes it, she dumps it out on the floor and out rolls all of these beer cans and paraphernalia, drug paraphernalia and uh, empty prescription bottles. But King says that the point of this intervention, which was just as uncomfortable for his wife and his kids and his friends as it was for him, is that they saw him dying in front of them and they did not want to watch this happen anymore. He said, my wife said, you know, I ha you have a choice. You, you can either go into the rehab facility or you can get out of the house. That, that she and the kids love me so much and so for that very reason, they refused to just watch me continue down the self-destructive path that I was going down. Now the moment that kind of stuck out to me was that moment when Stephen King's uh, wife takes that garbage can and she just dumps it out all over the floor there in front of his office. And what she, she wanted her husband to experience was the volume of what it is that he was doing. That, that she wanted him to be able to see all, all of this at one time. And so she just takes this and she dumps out the garbage can all over the floor to see, you know what, this is what your life is all about right now. The desire of this confrontation was to be redemptive. That uh, in showing him all of the ugliness, he would hopefully be able to see the point and get to the point to see what everybody else already saw. I think this is the same kind of task that Jeremiah is given as we come to the text in front of us this morning. 
What we're going to see this morning is Jeremiah not just bringing one or two or three prophecies to the people of Israel who were fully engrossed in this idol worship and taking advantage of the weak and the powerless. But what we're uh, trying to see and trying to uh, help us see is that there is such volume uh, that, that hopefully they will see um, what God is seeing here as well. Now, um, I don't want to leave you hanging here about uh, Stephen King. Uh, he did end up going to the rehab facility. He ended up getting sober. And from what I understand, he is sober even to this very day. But not everyone responds to intervention so positively. Not everyone changes their ways. We're in Jeremiah chapter 36 this morning. And so if you have a Bible with you or you can grab one in the pew rack in front of you. But I want to invite you to join me in Jeremiah chapter 36. The chapter begins with these words. It says, In the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, this word came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Take a scroll and write on it all the words that I have spoken to you against Israel and Judah and all the nations from the day I spoke to you from the days of Josiah until today. And so at this point in Jeremiah's ministry, he has delivered prophecies to the people for 20 years. And so the message that he gets from God is basically, I want you to write down every prophecy that you have received over the last 20 years so that you can stand up in front of the people and so that it can be read to them. Maybe when they hear the, and see the entire garbage can being dumped out all over the floor at once, they can see the enormity of their rebellion against God and they will be so stunned that they'll repent and turn back to the Lord. Now, just a note here about the date of when this whole encounter took place. It happens in 605 BC, and the guy who's on the throne is a guy by the name of Jehoiakim. Now, Jehoiakim is not a major figure in the Bible, but he is one of the kings of Israel that just was a disaster. He became king when he was 25 years old, and it seems that the power of becoming king when he was 25 years old just went to his head. That he is a picture of someone who just has power without having any character. And this is a period of time that jo, jo, um, Jeremiah is prophesying to the people. And so when you think about taking the garbage can and just dumping it out on the ground for everyone to see, there is going to be a lot of garbage on the ground. And trouble is coming their way. They had left God a long time ago and now God was not with them anymore. Here's what God says in verse 3. He says, it may be that the house of Judah will hear all the disaster that I intend to do to them so that everyone may turn from his evil way and I may forgive their iniquity and their sin. God says, listen, Jeremiah, I, I want you to write all of this stuff down. I want the people to hear this. And, and then maybe when they hear this, their hearts will be turned and they will be changed. I want my people to come back to me. I want their hearts back. I want their souls back. I want them turning from their idols and treating each other well. Maybe when they hear about the mess that is coming their way, they will turn and I will forgive them and we can start this journey all over again together. This is what is on God's heart. Now, 
As we look today at this passage of scripture where Jeremiah is told to write down 20 years of prophecy and to read it to all the people at once, it's going to give us an opportunity to talk about what it means to be correctable. What, what, it's like, what is it like for you? What is it like for me when someone comes and they take our garbage can and, and they dump it out at our feet and just say, you know what, I want you to see some things here in front of you. When that happens, it can provide an opportunity for growth. But ju just because something like this happens doesn't mean that it is going to change us, that we are going to learn something. There is a difference between conviction and heart change. And so when we talk about Stephen King's wife dumping all of this stuff out on the floor, or when we talk about Jeremiah bringing all of these prophecies at once, we just have to ask a very, very personal question today. And, and, and that's about those times when our garbage can gets dumped on the floor in front of us. Maybe in your garbage can, the garbage that is coming out is this garbage of envy. Envying all the other things that people around you have that you don't have. And God has given you all of these blessings, but because you're so consumed with the things that other people have, you, you, you can't see what God has given you. You can't rejoice in the blessings that he give, he's given. What do you do when your garbage can is dumped? Or maybe you're like Martha from the story of Mary and Martha in the Bible. That Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet and she's listening and Martha is just running around busy doing all of this stuff. And she wants Mary to help her so bad. Mary's not helping her. And Jesus even tells Martha at one point, listen, Mary has chosen the better thing. And maybe a friend of yours comes and they say, hey, you know what, listen. You're a lot like Martha just running around right now and you're doing all of this uh, busyness, but you don't seem to be uh, in tune to what people around you are going through. You're not really listening to other people. You don't have time for other people and you certainly don't seem to have a whole lot of time for God right now and that's a problem. What do you do when your garbage can is dumped and this thing is sitting in front of you? Because look, this is a great opportunity for growth but growth doesn't automatically happen. You have to do something with it because conviction is not the same as change. And so as we're about to read through and talk through this passage, I, I just want you to kind of have this image of the garbage can being dumped out in front of you. And I, I, I know that this can be difficult and Really, though, as Christians, we should be experiencing this type of thing routinely. That, that, um, that there should always be aspects of our lives where we hear God whispering into our, our lives and saying, you know what, I did not create you to live that way. That, that anger, it's got to go. That bitterness, it's got to go. Pride, it has to fall. And you just feel this nudge of the Holy Spirit where you say, you know what, uh, th this is leading towards my destruction. And you know what? The Holy Spirit says, I want what's best for you. And you can't live this way if you're going to experience what's best for you. I, I just love those words when, when God says, perhaps they will hear what is going to happen to them. And then they will turn and I will forgive them. And, and he says, you know what? I, I want to see a transformational work take place in their lives. It's a story of judgment. It's a story of compassion. It's a story of God wanting the hearts of his people back. 
The story unfolds in three scenes. It's kind of like a moving story that moves, it starts in one location, moves to a second location, and then finally to a third location. And as we're going to read through this story, we're going to think about the idea of being teachable and being molded into the image of God and how we respond when our garbage can is dumped out and the evidence is laying there at our feet in front of us. Scene number one. The prophet, Jeremiah, dictates all of these prophecies that he has received for the last 20 years. 20 years of prophecies he uh, dictates to this scribe by the name of Baruch. Now, Jeremiah is remembering the prophecies. He's giving these prophecies. And while he is giving these prophecies, Baruch is writing them down on a scroll. After they're all written down, you might think that Baruch would then just hand the scroll over to Jeremiah, that Jeremiah would go to scene one, the temple, and he would read all of these things to the people who are gathered there and just kind of empty out the garbage can all at once. But that's not what happens. Jeremiah has been restricted from going into the temple area. The leaders of Jerusalem, they don't like what he's saying. They are trying to shut him up. They are trying to keep him quiet. And so one of the things that they have done is that they have barred him from coming into the temple area. And so as soon as Baruch has written down the, uh, all of these words on this scroll, um, as Jeremiah has dictated to him, Jeremiah then turns to Baruch and he says, Okay, now what I need you to do is I need you to go to the temple and I need you to read these prophecies to the people who are gathered there. Here's what we read beginning in verse not, uh, 4. Beginning in verse 4. Jeremiah chapter 36. Then Jeremiah called Baruch, the son of Neriah, and, uh, and Baruch wrote on the scroll at the dictation of Jeremiah all the words of the Lord that he had spoken to him. And Jeremiah ordered Baruch, saying, I am banned from going into the house of the Lord, so you are to go, and on the day of fasting, in the hearing of all the people in the Lord's house, you shall read the words of the Lord from the scroll that you have written at my dictation. You shall read them also in the hearing of all the men of Judah to come out, who come out of, the city, of their cities. It may be that their plea for mercy will come before the Lord, and everyone will turn from his evil way, for great is the anger and wrath that the Lord has pronounced against this people. And Baruch, the son of Neriah, uh, did all the, that Jeremiah the prophet ordered him about reading from the scroll the words of the Lord in the Lord's house. Now, we have a picture here of the temple that we're going to put up on the screen. Just kind of get this image in your mind for a moment here. But... I just want you to imagine, I mean, here is uh, Baruch, he is at the temple, he has this scroll in his hand, and he begins to read from this scroll. Now, he's reading, and he reads things that sound like this. The lovely and delicately bred I will destroy, the daughter of Zion. Prepare war against her. Arise, let us attack at noon. For thus says the Lord of hosts, Cut down her trees, cast up a siege mound against Jerusalem. This is the city that must be punished. There is nothing but oppression within her. As a well keeps its water fresh, so she keeps fresh her evil. 
Violence and destruction are heard within her. Sickness and wounds are ever before me. Because they have forsaken my law that I set before them and have not obeyed my voice or walked in in accord with it, but have... But, but have stubbornly followed their own hearts and have, have gone after the Baals and their fathers ta- that their fathers taught them. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, behold, I will feed this people with bitter food and give them poisonous water to drink. I will scatter them among the nations whom neither they nor their fathers have known. And I will send the, word, the sword after them until I have consumed them. Baruch continues reading on and on and on. And it's like the the whole garbage can is being tipped upside down. Baruch shows up in the temple and he's reading there. And this crazy thing happens. The people, they actually stop. They actually listen to him. And they're, they're listening well. And I think that the reason why the people are listening so well to him is because they are there at the temple for a particular reason. They are there at the temple um, because of something that's happened in that region. This is when Baruch would read these prophecies. In verse 9, it says this. In the fifth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, the king of Judah, in the ninth month, all the people of Jerusalem and all the people who came from the cities of Judah and Jerusalem proclaimed a fast before the Lord. We're told the month, we're told the year. This is the ninth month and this is the fifth year. Now, our, our calendars start in January. Their, their calendars would start in April. And so this is December of 604 BC. Now, we have a map here of Jerusalem and Babylon that we're going to put on the screen. But for, for 20 years, Jeremiah has been giving these prophecies of war coming from Babylon. And, and when he started giving these prophecies, Babylon wasn't even a threat In order for Babylon to get to Jerusalem, they wouldn't go straight across because there was a desert there. You could not take an army across the desert. You just couldn't make it. And so if you were in Babylon, what you would do is you would go up north um, around the Euphrates. And then you would go um, over and then come back down to to the south. But that, that route there was like a thousand miles. It was far, far away. What happens is, is that the year before, 605 BC, there is a battle that takes place in this city called Carchemish. Now, um, this is, Carchemish is like 400 miles away from Jerusalem. This battle takes place between Egypt, which is the world power of the day, down south of Jerusalem, and um, and Babylon. They're, They're fighting against each other. Babylon absolutely destroys the Egyptian army. And so all of a sudden there is this power shift that takes place and Egypt is kind of knocked off its pedestal and now Babylon is beginning to gain some strength. Well, Babylon starts uh, telling the countries here in this area, listen, you better start uh, sending some money our way. You better start paying us your due or else we're going to come after you. Now, there's at least one country that um, decides that they're going to challenge Babylon and they say, you know what, we're not going to pay 
we are not going to bow the knee. We don't think that you're going to do anything about it either. And this city was a city that was on the coast. It was 50 miles away from Jerusalem. Now, there's another map, and the next map that we're going to put up on the screen. You're going to see this town called Ashkelon. Ashkelon. Now, in... uh, what happens is that Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian army, they're not, they're not going to have this. And so they travel over to Ashkelon and they attack this city and they just level it, killing everyone who is there. Historically, that was the ninth month of the fifth year of the reign of Jehoiakim. It was 604 B.C. Suddenly, after 20 years of Jeremiah giving these prophecies, the Babylonian army attacks this major city that's just down the street from Jerusalem, totally levels the place. The people in and around Jerusalem, not the king, but the people, they they call this fast and they show up at the temple in order to seek the Lord's favor. And this is when Baruch shows up at the temple and he is reading um, these devastating prophecies. And the people are listening. Listen, sometimes fear is actually a very good thing. I know that throughout the scriptures, God will often say, don't be afraid because I'm with you. Don't be afraid because I'm with you. Don't be afraid because I'm with you. But listen, there are times when we are about to make a major mistake, or maybe we've even made a major mistake, and fear can actually work in our favor. It is fear of where this might ultimately lead that can drive us towards repentance, that can lead us back to the Lord, that can lead us back to a path of righteousness. You see, fear can actually be a good thing if it serves as a wake-up call to get our attention and to wake us up. And so Baruch is standing in the temple in December of 604 B.C., All of this stuff has been going on. The people are calling for a fast. They are there in the temple in order to seek the Lord. And this is when Baruch is reading from the scroll. There's this guy. He's an official. He's not a top official, but he's an important guy. And he just happens to be walking through the temple that day as Baruch is reading from the scroll. He stops and he listens to this prophecy. And then he turns around and he races immediately over to the royal palace where the secretary's office is in order to inform them about these prophecies that he's hearing. Verses 11 and 12, they say this. When Micaiah, the son of Garmari, the, the son of Shema, Shem, Shem, Shephan, Shephan, Uh, heard all of the words of the Lord from the scroll, he went down to the king's house into the secretary's chamber and all the officials were sitting there and then it lists their names. Now, uh, Micaiah, he runs uh, to some of these leaders and he says, listen, there's a guy that you just have to hear. This guy named Baruch, you have to hear what it is that he's saying. And so we have a picture of the of, of a secretary's office. This is um, the uh, this is like a city hall. That's kind of what I picture. I picture th- this image of these officials kind of sitting there in this room together. And this is what we read, beginning in verse fifteen. It says, "And they said to him, to Baruch, sit down and read it." So Baruch read it to them. Baruch read all of these things in the temple to the ordinary people who were gathered there. Now he's in the city hall in front of all of these city officials. 
and he's reading this. Now, these weren't the top guys there in the, the kings. They were not the king's men. But this was nonetheless some very influential people. And Baruch is reading these words that, that he had read from the scroll, and he's reading it again. He's reading these words of judgment that, that, that are coming because of the fact that the people of Israel had taken advantage of the weak and the powerless. He's reading these words of judgment because he, he, they, they've been running after all of these other idols and not running to the Lord. I find this guy's reaction, these guys' reaction to be rather significant here as well. And in verse 16, here's what we read. It says, when they heard all the words, they turned one to another in fear and said to Baruch, we must report all these words to the king. Now, they've been listening to this guy, Baruch, um, as he reads these words, they seem very familiar. They, they, sound so, they sound so much like something else that they've heard. Verse 17 says, Then they asked Baruch, tell us, please, how did you write all these words? Was it at his dictation? Talking about Jeremiah. Because this sounds so much like what Jeremiah was saying. Verse 18, Baruch answered, yes, his dictation. Uh, he dictated all of these words. While I wrote them with ink on the scroll, then the officials said to Baruch, go and hide you and Jeremiah and let no one know where you are. You know, these officials say, listen, um, we're going to take this to the king. But before we take this to the king, you and Jeremiah better go hide somewhere. And, and I don't know. We don't know what well that's going to be or we don't know what cistern you're going to hide in. We don't know what floorboards under what attic you guys are going to hide in. But wherever it is, you don't tell anybody about where it is that you're going. Because if anyone finds out, if anyone knows about where you're going, you know what the king is going to do? He's going to hunt you down and he's going to find you. The king is Jehoiakim. There was another prophet by the name of Uriah who had also offered some very similar words to this king, King Jehoiakim. And Uriah had then fled out of the country. He had gone all the way to Egypt. But Jehoiakim, he gets this group of hitmen together. They go all the way down to Egypt. They find this guy. They catch him. They drag him all the way back up to uh, uh, Jerusalem. And they kill him there. The point is this. You just don't mess with King Jehoiakim. And so they, they tell Baruch, you and Jeremiah, you better go find this hiding place and you better go fast because... You don't want anyone to know where you're at either because you're going to get hunted down and the king's going to try to find you. And so that's the secretary's office. Scene three is the king's winter house. Most likely this was an apartment that was connected to the palace. It's December, it's winter. And so this was probably an area in the palace that was designed to um, provide heat during the cooler months of the year. And so we read this in verse 22. It was the ninth month, and the king was sitting in the winter house. And there was a fire burning in the fire pot before him. We have a picture that we're going to put up on the screen to just imagine what this would be like. But I just imagine this nice, comfortable chair and this fireplace burning with a nice fire to help keep you warm. 
There are some guys who come in and they say, hey, you know what? There's this guy named Baruch and he's reading from this scroll to the people. And what he's reading, he's reading some pretty tough stuff. Uh, pretty tough things about you, king, and he's reading pretty tough, some pretty tough things about our city. And so Jehoiakim sends, for, sends this guy, Jehudi, and he goes and he gets this scroll. He brings it back and he reads it to the king. And so Jehudi is there with this scroll and, and he's in front of the king and he's in front of the king's top officials and he begins to read. Now, as he, he's reading from the scroll, the king pulls out his knife and he starts tearing this, um, this scroll and he starts cutting this scroll, taking off the different pieces of the scroll and then just throwing it into the fire. Beginning in verse 23, here's what we read. As Jehudi read three or four columns, the king would cut them off with a knife and throw them into the fire in the fire pot until the entire scroll was consumed in fire that was in the fire pot. Yet neither the king nor his servants who heard all these words was afraid, nor did they tear their garments. Even when Elnathan and Deliah and Garmera uh, urged the king not to burn the scroll, he would not listen to them. And it says then that the king orders some men to go and hunt down Baruch and hunt down Jeremiah, but the Lord hid them. Here's the king. He is 30 years old. He's, not, he's got a ton of power, but doesn't have much character. And so he takes this scroll as it's being read, and he just starts cutting it up and throwing it into the fire to be burned. And he's saying that, it says that neither he nor his servants who heard this uh, we're afraid at all. How do you end up like that? How, how do you end up with a heart that is so callous towards God? You know, this is from the prophet Jeremiah. So, I don't care. These are the words of the Lord. I don't care. How do you harden your heart? How do you callous your heart to the point where you stop listening and you stop hearing and you end up just ignoring all of the warnings that are coming your way? There's a warning in the New Testament of your Bible. It's found in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 7. And it says this, Today, if you hear his word, do not harden your hearts. It's this instruction to keep a soft heart. When our garbage can is being turned upside down, when we are confronted with a behavior that will lead down a path towards destruction. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. And so let's talk about what can harden our hearts, what can callous our hearts. You know, I think that a lot of times when we think about this, when we talk about this, um, there's probably lots of things that we could talk about, but we're just going to talk about a few here this morning. First, uh, just is that category of sin. What can happen here is that we can get in this habit of lying. We can start running after all of these uh, things and, and we, we get in such a habit of lying that we don't even realize that we're lying anymore. It doesn't even seem to affect us anymore. We, we can get in this habit of losing our temper, of going off on people, and it just doesn't seem abnormal anymore. Instead, it feels really, 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 really normal, regardless of who it is that we're hurting. 
There's something about subtle rebellion against God where we can just get to the point where you say, you know what, I just don't care anymore. I don't want to listen to you. I'm not listening to you, God. Sin, repeated again and again and again, hardens the heart. It calluses the heart. A second thing is just hurt. That hurt can, we can be calloused. Our hearts can be calloused by hurt. We, we talked about this a little bit last Sunday when we talked about numbing, that we get this hurt and you can start numbing yourselves towards hurt. And when you do that, you often numb yourself towards everything. That what can happen is we numb ourselves towards pain. We numb ourselves towards uh, hurt in life. And, and, and as we do that, we're also numbing ourselves towards gratitude and joy and gladness. And I think that many people end up with these callous hearts because they've experienced hurt, they've experienced pain, and they did not deal with it in the right way. They did not take those things to God and listen to what he had to say about those things. Instead, they ended up bottling it all up and it ends up affecting their hearts. Sin can callous the heart. Hurt can callous the heart. A, thing, a third thing that can callous the heart is just the word exposure. Hearing things over and over and over again can sometimes not be our friend. You hear the story of something like the prodigal son, this guy who ran away from home. Or, or maybe you hear the story of the Good Samaritan about a guy who, who, who is, um, he sees this other guy who's been beaten up and left for dead on the side of the road. He gets off of his donkey and he helps him and it costs him something. Now, maybe you grew up in church and you've heard these stories from the time that you were a kid. You heard these stories read when you were at home. You heard these stories read at summer camps and in youth group and in worship services. And maybe you went to college and you went to a Christian college and you heard these things there as well. But over time, because of the just sheer exposure of the number of times that you have heard these life-giving stories, you have become so calloused and you say, you know what? Whatever. I've heard that before. It doesn't matter. I'm not listening. And you have hardened your heart to the very scripture that was intended to soften you. And so let me just read these words from Hebrews chapter 4 again. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Jeremiah, he's told to dictate 20 years of prophecy to Baruch. Baruch then takes the scroll. He reads what has been written. The king, he hears this scroll being read. He cuts it up. He burns it in the fire. Story over, right? Well, not quite. Verse 27 says this. Now, after the king had burned the scroll with the words that Baruch wrote at Jeremiah's dictation, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Take another scroll and write on it all the former words that were in the first scroll, which Jehoiakim, the, son of, the king of Judah, has burned. You see, here's the deal. Ignoring the truth does not make it go away. Just because Jehoiakim burns up the, the first scroll does not make it go away. God says, okay, Jeremiah, take another scroll. I want you to write these things down again. And this time, when you write these things down, I need you to add something to it. I need you to add what happened, what's going to happen to Jehoiakim here. Jehoiakim, he reigns for 11 years. He rebels against the king of Babylon. The king of Babylon gets some troops together. He goes down to attack Jerusalem. 
as the Babylonians are coming. History tells us that Jehoiakim is killed by his own people, that his body is dumped over the city wall to prevent the city from being attacked. Part of the prophecy from the Lord is the type of burial that Jehoiakim would not receive. Jerusalem would stand for another 18 years, but eventually it would be totally destroyed. The survivors would be taken off into exile. But what troubles me so much in this story is not so much the defiance of the people. At least some of them seem to have soft hearts when they heard this read. What troubles me is the defiance of the king who led these people towards destruction. And so as we close here this morning, I just want you to think about how your hard heart, my hard heart, could lead to uh, impacting the other people around us. Grade school kids pay for hard-hearted parents. Managers, business owners who do not treat their people with dignity can work so hard, can get their people to make them work so much that uh, so much more than what they need to. Spouses pay for the hard-heartedness of their spouse. Congregations can pay for a hard-hearted pastor. And so today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Because sometimes something, um, when, when you let your, your heart callous over, other people can pay. You know, I, I don't know what it's going to be for you, for each of us, this week, this month. Well, what are we going to do when we see our garbage can being tipped upside down? When there is evidence that is unpleasant that is sitting in front of us. You know, it might be an attitude, it might be a behavior, but it's just one of those times when uh, you're, you're listening and, and God says, listen, you know what, I, I've not created you to, to live that way. You, you, um, will you hear? Will you hear what I'm saying? Will you turn? And will you find the forgiveness? You will find the forgiveness if you uh, hear and if you turn, but, but you, you can find forgiveness from the Lord and we can start over afresh here. My question for us today is not uh, what Jehoiakim did when he burned the scroll, but my question is, what, what, what's going to happen when your scroll is coming your way? What's going to happen when the garbage can of life gets emptied on the floor in front of you? Because there is a difference between seeing and then humbly responding to it and asking God for the grace for a new start from him. And so I walk away from the story of Jehoiakim and Baruch and uh, Jehudi and um, Jeremiah. And I have this one plea. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Because if we hear his voice and we follow him, we will be transformed into people who were created for his glory and for our good. Let's pray.